okay, picture with me. You arrive at a stop sign, four-way intersection. You arrive at this stop sign. Now, as you arrive, someone, um, you also notice that someone has stopped at the, at the intersection um, before you. You see them come to a full stop. Now, you come to a full stop. Now, I want you to picture a third person now coming to the other, on the other side of the intersection, coming to a stop. Okay? Everyone with me so far? Someone's already there. They've, they've, they came to the first stop before you. Now, I want you to now picture uh, that person who came to the first stop, who probably should go first. They don't go, but instead they wave you on. You, have, you, know, you, you, you with me? And then you think, well, but you, you came first, so you kind of hesitate, so you kind of go, but then that third person thinks they're being waved, so they go, and, and it becomes this, this, this New Brunswick nightmare that I've never seen anywhere else in New Brunswick, right? It just, it just, it comes in, it's so infuriating, and there's nothing that incites anger in my life than the New Brunswick four-way stop intersection uh, experience. Some of you, one of you in the survey mentioned that too, and whoever you are, I'm not sure who you are, but... I share that anger with you, and this morning we're talking about anger in the Sermon on the Mount. So if you have your Bible or your phone, uh, you can look at Matthew 5.21 as you kind of continue the series uh, on the Sermon on the Mount. As you look at, the Sermon on the Mount is actually like, it's like a, a, a map for us of the kingdom of God. Um, another pet peeve of mine uh, when it comes to driving is, um, I don't know if you guys know this or not, so I, I, forgive me, but when, you, when there's a, a green light and you can turn left... You don't have to stop at the stoplight, stop line. You actually can get right in the intersection and then go. So when it turns yellow, you can go. And the person behind you can also sneak through. Ooh. That person doesn't sneak up just enough into the intersection so I can go as well. Ask Courtney. I get, I get angry. It's like, you have a right. You can go right to the intersection even if it's green. It's okay. But I understand safety and all that. I understand. But listen, anger, it's a thing. <laughs> Somewhere on the mount. Uh, we're looking at what the kingdom of God looks like uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, and it actually shows us the kind of person that we actually can become. So it's not just a list of rules and commands and laws, but it actually is a picture of the type of apprentice that we can become. When we put our faith in Jesus, when we apprentice under Jesus, these are actual snapshots of what it looks like, uh, what your life can look like here and now, okay? Not just someday when you're in the by and by you, and you've and you're in heaven with Jesus. No, this is, this is a reality now as well too, right? The kingdom is he, both here and now, but also not yet. Um, this, so this is, shows us a picture of the kind of person that you can become. These are the things that the kind of person, uh, these, these are the things that the kind of person can do when you apprentice under Jesus. Um, so this morning we're looking at anger. What does, how, how an apprentice lives in the kingdom of God and how they deal with anger. And I want to be very clear up front before we start this. Um, you know, anger comes in so many different ways. I don't know if you know this, but there's different types of anger. Um, there's hot anger. There's cold anger. Um, there's all kinds of, like, just different levels of anger that we experience. So we are just scratching the surface here on the anger and... Um, I, I really encourage you, like, there's, this morning is not a substitute for sitting down with a really good therapist and, and processing your anger, because anger because becomes different levels, and it has different grades and hues and shades, and also, it's also tied in with lots of other emotions, right? So we're going to be talking about anger, but I want to make sure we are very clear up front, it comes in different shapes and sizes and um, temperatures. 
as we look at it. I, for one, I'll fully admit, I'm one of those people that, um, I don't know if you feel like this sometimes, but I, I'm one of those people who I feel like anger, <laughs> like when, when God says to Cain, uh, be careful, sin is knocking at your door, because uh, the anger is seeping in. I, sometimes I find myself, I'm a, anger is under, always waiting and crouching uh, underneath me. And uh, Georgianne called me this morning, kind of had a little joke thing but going on, but there's always, this, there's always this underlying anger that I always feel can come out anytime, anyone else feels that way. Some of us are kind of naturally angrier than other, others. And uh, so this is a really great one for me to uh, talk about this morning, because I know nothing about it. A um, couple of things before we get started uh, as well, is I want to talk about four, um, four things, four definitions about uh, the, human, um, the human being, if you will. Four things that I think we need, we need to kind of define before we move into things like anger. We're going to be talking about lust. Uh, thankfully, Josh is talking about lust next week. Um, and uh, revenge, and we have all that kind of emotions are tied up in uh, the Sermon on the Mount. So here are just four basic things that make up uh, us as human beings, okay? I kind of want to define them really quick. Feelings. Oh, feelings. Everyone experiences feelings, right? So one of the things we need to talk about with feelings, especially when it comes to anger, is that, you know, feelings are at the center of the human life, right? If who has ever had a, fu- a feeling before, right? It's what makes us human, right? We have feelings. Uh, they're instinctive things that we experience when, when something happens to us, right? And these are, I want to kind of just, say these are a little different than emotions, which we'll get to in a second, in a second. but the easiest way to, to, do, to differentiate feelings from emotions is that when I say I love donuts, I'm not really, I don't really actually love donuts, right? Like I love well, maybe I do. Like, I love my wife, right? Love is, a, love is an emotion. I like donuts. Uh, they're enjoyable to me. That's a feeling I have about donuts, okay? That's, that's kind of an easy way to kind of, you know, very generally speaking, differentiate between feelings and emotions. But we all have emo- uh, feelings. We don't love uh, donuts like we love our pets or our kids or our spouse or our family. Those are emotions. But when you see the cake or the donut, you have a, you have a happy feeling, Right? Enjoyable feeling. We also know that feelings are, they can be blinding at times. And sometimes you feel, um, sometimes feelings, they, they, they kind of, they come out of nowhere. Have you ever, ever had that happen to you? Um, you can feel something and you don't even know why you're feeling it. Right? So a great quick example of that for me was um, in, my, in my first church I worked at, um, some things were happening uh, with leadership stuff, and I was pretty stressed out by the whole thing. I was kind of caught in the middle of it, and um, I, in the end, I, I resigned from the church, and all this, it was not because of me, it was something else going on, and so I resigned. I remember, I remember it was a really stressful moment in my life, and, but I didn't really realize how stressful it was until I was driving home from the church one day, and all of a sudden, I just like, I'm going to pass out. I'm feeling, I'm feeling lightheaded. What, what's, like, I started hyperventilating, and I was like, what is happening? I, I pulled over, and I had to, like, stop for a second because I was just, I was like, I'm, I'm going to pass out alone in this car right here, right now, in the middle of these cow fields because <laughs> that's where I was. And I was like, what is happening? And so in the end, what I was experiencing was a panic attack. Some of you have had panic attacks before. I've had a couple since because I, I can recognize them now. But at the time, I, I was feeling great. I, I resigned from the church. I was feeling good. 
um, made some right decisions. I knew what I was doing was the best thing to do. But that hit me like a ton of bricks. And those feelings came out of nowhere. And some of us have had that experience before, too. Feelings can just, you don't even know why you're feeling a certain way. And they can hit you. Feelings are not, you know, necessarily bad. also want to define that, too. Feelings are not necessarily bad by themselves. But they're also not enough for spiritual or emotional maturity. Okay? They're not enough for spiritual or emotional maturity. They're not enough for us to grow as an apprentice, but they're not bad. Okay? Think of them as kind of like triggers. They, they help us understand what's happening at a deeper level in us. Because we have seen people who have based their entire lives on feelings. We have seen people base their entire life on anger. And we have seen the level of maturity that person has and where their life tends to lead. When, they, when we just base our entire existence on our feelings. It doesn't go well. And not only that, but we also live in a society that celebrates feelings. We live in a society that says, follow your feelings. Do what you feel is best. So people are like, okay, well, whatever makes me feel good, I'll do it. Do whatever makes you feel happy. Do whatever makes you feel accepted, valued. In Burger King, I don't know if you guys know this or not. I had no idea until I was looking this up. Because uh, I was like, whose who's slogan is, have it your way? Does anyone know? Ha, ha, have it your way. Whose slogan is that? No. It might be, but that's what I'm thinking of. Burger King. Yeah, have it your way. But in 2014, they changed it. I had no idea. To be your way. Okay? 2014. Burger King said this in, in, a, in a statement why they changed their, their uh, slogan. In the statement, Burger King said, the new motto is intended to remind people that they can, they can and should live how they want anytime. It's okay to not be perfect, which is true. Self-expression is most important, and it's our differences that make us individuals instead of robots. Also slightly true. They can and should live how they want anytime. Burger King is saying, Live a life of how are you feeling. Do what feels right. So that's feelings, okay? Emotions we already talked about, things like hate can be in there, shame, love, joy, peace. Uh, these deep-rooted uh, emotions, they're, they're similar to feelings, but they're deeply embedded and rooted in our identity, right? I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on that right now because of time, but... Those are, the things, those are examples of emotions. Now, so feelings, emotions, desires. Desires are similar to feelings in that they're not necessarily bad. Do you, as human beings, you have desires, right? We all have desires. But again, if left unchecked, they lead us astray. Desire is when we are fixated on a particular thing. So I'm hungry. Right? My desire is I need to eat. I'm feeling hungry. My desire is to eat. I will do, I'm fixated on eating. That's my desire. I am feeling very sleepy. I desire to rest. I, am, I want to rest. I want something sweet. I desire a donut again. <laughs> it all comes back to donuts. 
We also know that desires, they also don't play well together. Desires, they don't, they, they don't, they're not looking out for each other, okay? So if James 4 to 1, I'm not going to read it right now, but James uh, chapter 4, verse 1, he talks about how the, the, the conflicting of our desires and our passions and how those things lead to things like murder. <laughs> and here's another key thing on desires I want us to get this morning, especially as we look at the Sermon on the Mount. We look at anger and, and lust and all these different types of things, these emotions, these feelings. Desire does not ask the question, is this good? It's a really key distinction for desire. Desire does not ask the question, is this thing good? Is it right? It just says, I want that. Does that make sense? Perfect. It forgets everything else. Desire is not critical in nature. It does not think critically. <laughs> is I want that thing, I'm going to get it. Feelings, emotions, desires, lastly, your will. <clears throat> your will. Your will is the part of you that gives you freedom to make a choice. What is your will for this thing? <laughs> Desire does not give you choice, but your will frees you up to give you that choice. And this is what separates us from, uh, one of the main reasons why, why it separates us from animals. Because we have the ability, through our will, to kind of uh, bypass our desires, if you will, to bypass our feelings. And say, even, I know that this thing is not good for me, and I'm choosing through my will, to not do that thing. Sometimes our will gets the best of us, our desires get the best of us, and we succumb to our desires, and our will just says, yeah, just do whatever you want. <laughs> uh, Ruth is the cutest child I have. And um, <laughs> the, other, the other day, uh, I had... The kids had a bunch of uh, candy. I'm, I'm joking, Audrey. You're the cutest. Uh, they had, you know, it's it Halloween, so we had little leftover bags of, of chips, right? So I'm, I'm, my, my will was very weak, and I was eating chips out of the little bag, right? The Lay's chips. And Ruth comes over, her sweet little face, and she does, right? R Ruth's will has not been developed yet, right? I, my will has not been fully developed yet when it comes to chips and donuts. That's, this is what we do with our, with our children, right? We, are, we want to train our kids uh, to how, how to exercise their will in a way that is helpful. Because it has not been developed yet. And a lot of us as adults also need some training in our will. She desires a chip, and she'll do anything to get that chip, unless someone intervenes and says, no, 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 like, listen, that's, that's not good for you. But I'm going to keep eating them. <laughs> it's different, guys. It's totally different. Um, so some of us, including myself, there's certain things in our lives where we are, still, we are still babies at when it comes to our will. Anytime you find a person with any degree of success, hear me when I say this, anytime you find a person with any degree of any success, 
in any area, it will be because they have known not to do what they wanted to do and to do what they don't want to do. I have helped with some like work placement stuff with jobs and, and I just work at Catapult Coffee and uh, hire people who had employment barriers. And the simple fact of just showing up was huge. Lots of met people, lots of things in life, a, a huge degree of our success has just been showing up when we don't want to. To do the things that we know we need to do even though we don't want to. That is exercising our will and saying desire, feelings, emotions. I'm even though you're saying all this, I'm choosing to do the right thing. Spiritual formation and emotional maturity is no exception. So, let's look at anger very quickly as we have those kind of definitions of desire, will, emotions, feelings. Now, in Matthew 5, 21, we have Jesus, we have Beatitudes, and we talked about last week how we need to kind of surpass, go beyond the righteousness of the Pharisees, which is found in Jesus. But now he's kind of starting this whole list of things that many of you probably have read in Sermon on the Mount, where it talks about anger and lust, revenge, uh, the golden rule, all these type of things. And the very first thing he starts off with, kind of in the practical side of this whole thing, is anger. It's the very first thing. And we have to, again, assume, and we know, that Jesus is the smartest person who's ever lived. He's also the, the best sermon writer who has ever lived. So we have to pay attention to why anger is listed first. We need to take note of that. Addressing anger is, is fundamental to addressing everything else in the Sermon on the Mount. It's fundamental. In our, in our spiritual maturity, in our apprenticeship to Jesus, anger is fundamental in how we proceed forward. Because I can tell you what, when Jesus says, okay, listen, um, actually, carry, carry the soldier's armor, not just what he says to do, but carry it an extra mile beyond what he asks you to do. Or when someone slaps you, turn the other cheek. If you have not dealt with anger at that point, those things are very, very difficult. Anger is fundamental to our development as we think about being an apprentice of Jesus. So what is anger? Anger is not a sin. We've said this before here. Anger is not a sin. Very clear about that. We don't deny anger. We don't repress anger. Also very important. Again, keep in mind there's different grades and shades and all kinds of stuff when it comes to anger. Um, I get my Willard quote in. Uh, Willard says, anger is an announcement that my will, what I want to happen, has been crossed. So again, go back to remember the, the idea of will. Anger is an announcement that my will, what I want to happen, has been messed with. Anger is an announcement of pain. Think of that. Anger is an announcement of pain. I am pained by... When I am pained by something, whether it be a, someone uh, not getting out into the middle of the intersection where I want them to, 
Um, when I'm pained by the things I see around COVID uh, every single day, my anger is a response to the pain I'm feeling in those, in, those, in those moments. What I want to have happen in my kingdom is not happening. And I announce that to everybody through my anger. Or even feel it. I don't even have to announce it, but even feeling it is an announcement of the pain I'm feeling. My kingdom has been insulted. It's been violated. That's what anger is announcing. And when left unchecked, this can lead down a very, very dark path. Jesus says, to the point of murder. Here's the other thing with anger. Anger will always evoke anger. Anger will always evoke anger. I don't think I need to explain that much further because we've seen so many times, even if we know we're right on something, I know 100%, I know 100% I'm in the right on, on a situation. And I've done my due diligence, due diligence on whatever it may be. If the other person that I've, who you know, seems to be wronged by whatever I did, if they're angry at me, and even though I've done nothing wrong, that makes me angry. <laughs> it makes me angry that the other person is angry. And so it just goes back and forth. Anger evokes anger. Anger will always evoke anger. Here's another thing about anger. Anger is dangerous because it's always righteous in the moment. It's always justified and justifies the actions that follow. We know that's not to be true, but that's how it feels, isn't it? I am justified in this moment to be angry. I have every right. And that's what makes anger so dangerous. It's always righteous in the moment. Anger is a feeling, and it often comes from a, a desire. So again, feeling, desire, which does not ask the question, am I right? Again, feelings and desires don't ask the question, am I right? Is what I'm about to do right? Could I possibly be wrong? Do I know the other person's side of the story? Anger keeps us from being critical. Because all anger is saying is, I want this, I want this, I want this. My kingdom wants this. My desires want this. You've messed up my world. And I want it back to normal. I want it the way I want it to be. And that's not always a bad thing. But most times it doesn't lead places. So Matthew 5.21, if you read that, it's on the screen, I think. If you read that first section, you have heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. If you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. Just please note at the beginning of that how um, basically that makes it sound like we're all serial killers. <laughs> But also, keep, note, the, note the language in this, some of this, though. It, it's, it's a warning sign. It's not saying you're going to be thrown into the fires of, of, actually, the translation is Gehenna here, but the fires of Gehenna, or hell, just, you're in danger of it. When he talks to Cain, he says, I know you're angry, and you're in danger of sin. Okay? 
Anger in itself is not a sin. All right, sorry, continue. Um, you're in danger of being brought up. So if you are presenting a sacrifice, yeah, you're good. So if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, you just wait on the Lord. <laughs> Leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person and come and offer your sacrifice to God. When you're on the, on the way to court with your adversary, sell your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to an officer and you'll be thrown into the old prison. Do not collect $200. Do not pass go. You're in prison. A couple things I want to point out uh, in these verses. Now, the first section is, sounds pretty bleak. The very thought of anger makes it sound like we're uh, about to be uh, condemned as serial killers. Because we've all had thoughts, we've all had anger, right? And the law says, Jesus is saying it's, it's even worse than just murdering somebody. If you actually think anger and have anger towards somebody, you're in danger of even more, something worse. Verse 23, uh, it, set, it shows us two, two different pictures are happening here in the second half of the scripture. It's kind of like the, the bleak, you've been told this whole thing, you're all murderers. But it kind of has like this kind of positive, Jesus kind of goes into the positive here. He says, if you are at the altar giving a sacrifice, I want you to stop what you're doing. Stop what you're doing and go make things right with your brother or sister. Now, why don't you think about that for a second? At the time, you know, the idea of giving sacrifice at an altar was a pretty, pretty important thing. It's a pretty sacred thing. And Jesus is saying, I want you to interrupt what you think is the most sacred thing, the most important thing in your mind conceivable. I want you to interrupt that and go make things right with your brother and sister. Jesus is saying, not only do I, I'm showing you not to like, tell you not to murder your brother or sister, but I'm also showing you how to love your brother and sister. It's not just good enough just to not do something, but I'm actually asking you to take it the next step further. I'm asking you to give up the right, give up your rights, in order to make the relationship right. The relationship here in both, these, in both these situations are what Jesus is trying to get at. It's the relationship with the other person. It's even more important than the sacrifice, the ritual sacrifice to God. That's how much Jesus cares about the relationship and what he's saying to us about relationships. It's something, even in the, in the next section, he's saying make the first move. Don't, don't wait around, but if, you, if something is wrong between you and somebody else, the relationship is so important, so important that you need to be, make the first move and go make sure things are right with that person. Not, not because you don't want to get thrown in jail, because relationships and that person is important to God. Oftentimes people look at this scripture and they say, oh, this is, this is why we don't sue Christians. Everyone heard that? We don't sue other Christians? Everyone heard that before? We just don't do that. I mean, you're not supposed to sue people in general, but it's not nice to do that. I, I, would, I would argue this is actually telling you how to sue somebody. It's not, it, Jesus is saying, it's not that you can't 
have conflict with somebody or have something, something wrong in a relationship, but it's how you deal with that is what's important. Because if you actually care about that person enough and you do everything you can to love that person who has wronged you or, or that you've wronged them, to amend that relationship, that's what matters in the end. This doesn't mean we get to get walked all over or we shouldn't correct people or we shouldn't get angry about things, but Jesus is saying this is how you step out of your anger and see the relationship that's at play here. The relationship is important. Imagine for a second anger was taken out of every court case, but instead of the people who were so quick to have dialogue, they weren't fueled by anger, but out of a need to amend the relationship. Last but not least, I'm going, to go to, I'm going to skip to Mark 3 real quick as we close up here. Interesting story here when it comes to anger. Jesus is at the synagogue again. Notice a man with a deformed hand, and it was Sabbath. So Jesus' enemies, the Pharisees, were watching him. And if they planned to do something, if he did something, they were going to get him real good. You're not supposed to do anything on the Sabbath. Jesus says, come and stand in front of everyone. Then he turned to his critics and asked, does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath or is it a day for doing evil? He looked around at them angrily. This is Jesus. He looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. And then he healed the man. Jesus in this moment and in these verses, he's, he's saying, when you're an apprentice of me, not only will you be able to, you'll be able to control your anger in such a way, you actually can use your anger to develop the relationship, to use it for the good of the relationship. Jesus, in this picture, is angry. So again, we know Jesus is without sin, but Jesus is able to take his anger and harness it, if you will, to morph it in a way that now he's, he uses it to heal this man and in turn create a relationship with this man, even though he was angry at the system, if you will. Jesus was able to step out of his desire for anger and uh, desire for all these things and feelings, and he's able to use the anger for good, to actually activate and to mend a relationship. Jesus is saying the same thing in Sermon on the Mount. Imagine if we used our anger to develop the relationship. If we made the relationship more important, what would that look like? Now, as we close, I can give you a bunch of, um, you know, things on how to deal with anger. You know, asking questions when someone makes you angry is a good way to deal with anger. Like, what do you mean by that? Tell me more. Sharing a story Helps you deal with anger. So maybe, so tell me a story about maybe why you're feeling this way. Or maybe sharing your own story with somebody to help them understand your side of, the story, uh, side of this whole predicament that you find yourself in. Seeing others better than yourself. Seeing people as God loves them. At the end of the day, though, living without anger presupposes assumes that you are surrendered, you have surrendered your will to God's will. 
At the end of the day, for us to overcome anger, or to, to deal with anger, I should say, to use it to actually help with relationships, to mend relationships, there's an assumption that you have given your will, as we talked about, giving it over to God's will. There's an assumption that you've rejected the BK lifestyle, the Burger King lifestyle. You're actively committing to grow in your relationship with Jesus. So over time, your will looks like God's will. God's choices becomes your choices. Your will no longer lives, gives, gives into your desires, your emotions, your feelings, but naturally does what Jesus did. And that does not come unless you spend time with Jesus, the one you're apprenticing under, have a relationship with. Sometimes it's hard. We can give these little anecdotal things to deal with anger, but at the end of the day, if we don't have an active relationship with the person that we are apprenticing under, and giving our will over to them, this will be difficult. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me in the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus didn't die on the cross so you wouldn't have to. He died on the cross so you would join him there. And how your heart just responded in the moment and when I just said that, pay attention to that. Jesus didn't die on the cross so you wouldn't have to. He died on the cross so you would join him there. So that your will would be his will. As you join him there daily on the cross, you give up your right to be angry. And you make it about the relationship. Make relationships more important than your desire to be right. When you join him there, you don't hesitate to serve your brother or sister who has wronged you. When you join him there, you take on his will, and his will is able to step outside of the emotions, the feelings, the desires to do what is right. When you join him there, you see how God loves the person you hold contempt for. And it will bring you to tears every time. When you join him there, you realize there is life outside of this moment of anger. When you join him there, you begin to realize that even when you do have the right to be angry, it doesn't mean you ought to be angry. When we join him there, we give up our right to be angry. We take on his will. His will to always err on the side of relationship. Let's pray. God, thanks for this day. And God, I, just, I admit that, uh, yeah, I've, I'm still dealing with this anger stuff, especially in the light of COVID and all the things we see in the world. And God, sometimes it's hard to actually even know how to deal with anger when anger doesn't have a face. It's easy for me to be angry when I know someone personally who has wronged me, but when I see things like what Facebook is doing to the world or COVID or different systems, it's hard for me to you know, deal with my anger. And guys, I know there's lots of people in this group, this family right now, those who are watching online who may have felt the same. 
But God, we, we rejoice and we find freedom in the fact that you're in charge, that you are God, that we are not. As much as it angers us to see uh, things not be made right around us, we also know, have find freedom in the fact that it's your kingdom, not ours. It's your kingdom, not ours. It's not the church's kingdom. It's not my kingdom. It's your kingdom. God, help us this week as we find ourselves angry, whether it be at a four-way intersection. Maybe it's a relationship that we have with somebody. Maybe it's just hearing some more COVID news. God, that this week as we cultivate our apprenticeship with you, as we grow more and more, becoming more like you, that, God, you would enable us to be able to step outside of our anger, step outside of that feeling. Not to step out of it, God, but show us how to use it for good, how to mend the relationship, how to go, how to go the extra mile. God, we're so thankful that you care about the relationship and not just about following rules. We thank you for that. We give this day over to you, give our week over to you, and uh, we just love the fact that you, again, you are God and we are not. Give this, give this morning over to you. Amen.